0: Mary, please have a seat. I think I remember Roger saying that to Pat. Every Sunday. Last week, we talked about the good news that Jesus came onto the scene preaching. The good news that the kingdom of heavens, of the heavens, the kingdom of God is available now through Christ, through him, now and forever. It's a free gift of grace for anyone who will receive it through repentance and belief. And last week we talked about what is biblical repentance, what is biblical belief. We talked about that biblical repentance means that you are changing from one course of living, it's a... It's a renouncing of one strategy for living, one trajectory for living. And the belief part is transferring your trust from that uh, strategy for living to a new strategy for living, a new life trajectory. One that goes, so so what's what's the strategy that you're giving up and what's the one that you are adopting? You're going, repentance and belief is going from my will, my way, my time, to Jesus' way, Jesus' will, you know, his time, his way. That's what true biblical repentance and belief consists of. It's, it's saying, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm abandoning this strategy that has me as the master of my life, and I'm turning to a new way of living that has Jesus as the master of my life. I'm going from a life independent from God to a life dependent on God. I'm making a commitment to be with Jesus and his people to learn from Jesus how to live like him in thought and word in deed. That's what it means to repent and to believe. And so, we always have to ask people when we get people together, it's always wise to ask, have you accepted the gift of the kingdom, life with God now and forever, through repentance and belief in his son, Jesus? Have you made that decision? Jesus' radical message of grace surely had some people wondering, did Jesus come and now he's totally getting rid of the Old Testament moral laws that God you know, laid out through Moses. Is he chucking those laws out the window? Last week we found out uh, from Matthew 5, 17 through 20, that Jesus didn't come to get rid of God's moral laws. In fact, he came to uphold those laws. He came to explain them further. He came to help people Understand what it means to truly keep them. Jesus came to reinforce the moral laws of the Old Testament. Not to dismantle them. Now, this is important. There is something that Jesus did come to dismantle. And it, it, it was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That's what Jesus came to. To totally demolish. Because the righteousness of the Pharisees was really unrighteousness. That stemmed from their faulty interpretation of God's moral laws. And that's why in the remaining portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will dismantle their understanding of God's laws in the Old Testament. He'll repeatedly say, Jesus will repeatedly say, you have heard it said, and then he'll go and say what? But I say to you. Repeatedly, he says this in the rest of the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, what the religious leaders taught, he's saying, no, this is how you're supposed to interpret that. This is how you're supposed to live that out. They got it wrong. And you can see why so quickly the religious leaders hated Jesus. Jesus was coming onto the scene saying, hey, the religious leader's strategy for living, it's messed up, it's inaccurate, it's not right, it's not what God intended it. Come adopt my strategy for living. Come, those who are weary, right? Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light, right? His yoke was his teaching, his strategy for living. He was saying this in light of the Pharisees and the scribes, their strategy for living, which was extremely burdensome. We will talk about why it was that. So before we turn to the rest of the Sermon of the Mount and talk about just exactly how Jesus dismantles the unrighteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, I think it would be wise for us to spend this morning unpacking exactly what the righteousness, the unrighteous righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was. So that's where we're headed this morning. Before we do so, let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you are our Lord, you are our King, you are our Savior. That through you, Jesus, we can truly live a righteous life. Not only do you show us what a truly righteous life looks like, You give us your power, your spirit, to actually empower us to live it out. We need both a vision and a power to be righteous. And thankfully, you give us both of those things. Lord, I pray that as we look at the unrighteousness, righteousness of the Pharisees, that you would do heart surgery on us. We are prone to wander. We are prone (laughs) to fall back into our old patterns, old habits, old ways. Help us to overcome that. Help us to awaken to the identity that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, one note here. I think it's so important that we look at the unrighteous righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because they were church-going people. They were the ones who prayed. They were the ones who faithfully tithe. They were the ones who knew the scriptures so well they could quote entire books of the Old Testament. They are the ones who taught the scriptures to other people. They were the ones who were so faithful in their religious duties. And therefore, I think this is a warning from God to us. Those of you who faithfully read your Bible, those of you who are faithfully here on Sunday mornings, those of you who faithfully tithe, those of you who faithfully serve in the church, be warned. We so easily... Those who stand up in front of a congregation and teach the scriptures every Sunday, be warned. Because we can fall in to the ways of the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, according to a 2013 research study by the Barna Research Institute, 51% of self-identified Christians in America are characterized by having attitudes and actions researchers identified as pharisaical. Only 14, this is remarkable, remarkably sad, only 14% of today's self-identified Christians, just one in every seven Christians seem to represent the actions and attitudes Barna researchers found to be consistent with those of Jesus One out of seven. This can't continue. We wonder why we have lost influence in the world. Maybe you're here today and you are not a Christian. Maybe it's been the pharisaical, and we'll unpack this, the pharisaical ways of Christians that has so turned you off from Christianity I want to tell you, Jesus is not like that. He's been misrepresented, misrepresented. I'm hoping that if you don't believe in Jesus and you're here this morning, that you'll get to see a, a glimpse of who he is, what he's about, and what he desires his people to be. So, let's look at the unrighteous righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Number one, the religious leaders foolishly believe that they could keep the the, the law well enough to earn God's acceptance. I know this is something that we have talked about before, but this is something we have to repeatedly talk about because it's something that we can fall into very easily. Luke 18, 9 through 14, the, the story that Jim read for us, records the story that Jesus told to a group of people, the scripture says, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Scholars believe that Jesus was telling this story to a group of Pharisees. And in this story, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. So Jesus is telling a story about Pharisees to a group of Pharisees. In the story, the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray In Jerusalem, and so does a tax collector. They both go there, they both go there to pray. Well, the Pharisee says in his prayer to God, I'm so glad I am not like that tax collector. You know, the Pharisees could not stand tax collectors because they were working for the pagan Roman government. That was oppressing the Jewish people. They were viewed as traitors, right? And so this Pharisee is praying to God. Look, he he says in, in verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In other words, I'm awesome, right? I'm so glad that I've got it together. I'm so glad that I'm not like this chump tax collector over here. What a piece of work that man is. Sure glad I'm not like him. And I imagine the Pharisees that were listening to Jesus' story here were like, yes, Jesus, preach it. Facts. Right? And then Jesus said about the tax collector who was also there to pray. In verse 13. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Surely the Pharisees were expecting Jesus to say <laughs> that the Pharisee was in the right and right standing with, with God, not this icky tax collector. Ugh. But Jesus had to have cut them right to the heart when he said this in verse 14. I tell you this man went down to his house justified. In other words, in the right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Say what? That sounds like upside down stuff. Because it is. The Pharisees' prideful hearts told them that they could be their own savior by following God's moral laws. Their pride told them that God would one day say to them as they stood before God, you guys are phenomenal, your obedience is impeccable, I don't have any choice but to extend blessing and, and, and goodness to you. Come, enter the, the kingdom. Experience the blessings you have earned. You see, their, the, their pride blinded them. They could not see how incredibly broken they were. They could not see how tremendously flawed they were, how sin sick they were. Not only were they unaware of the depth of their sin, but they totally miscalculated on what it would take to please God through obedience to the law. It would take perfect obedience. You would have to keep the law perfectly. Every jot and tittle, you knew I was going to bring that in this Sunday. (laughs) Couldn't help myself. And so, there's no way the scribes and Pharisees could have earned God's acceptance through keeping the law. No person can do it. No person has done it except for Christ. He's the only person that has obeyed every jot and tittle of the law. What we actually earn for ourselves is life apart from God and his kingdom now and forever. So this may sound just like totally normal to all of us who are here every Sunday. Yeah, we get it, Shane. We're not we can't be saved by our obedience cuz we'd have to obey the law perfectly to be saved for God to accept us. But here's the thing. This is still operating in people's minds 2000 years later. I have run I've run into Many people that have told me over the years, I think that I will be a part of God's kingdom in eternity because I think I'm a good person. This is common. But here's the thing. If they were truly being honest in that moment, they would have to admit that they truly are not a good person. Even if they were, even if God was going to totally just like not even judge them by his perfect law, but just judge them by the own, their own standards that they have for themselves and others, because they have them, we know it, because they hold other people to these standards. They would, they would even meet those standards. Let me give you some examples. They don't like when people lie to them. Nobody does, but have they lied? Have they told white lies? Have they been less than transparent, but yet they expect others to be? And of course, the person will tell themselves, well, circumstances were different. Of course I had to to lie. My behavior was justified. They didn't have a choice. They will tell you that gossip is wrong, but yet have they gossiped? Have they misrepresented other people? Have they destroyed or at least contributed to the destruction of somebody's reputation? Of course they had to, given the circumstances. They may say that, you know people keeping their commitments and promises is, to them is important, and yet have they broken a promise? Is there yes? Always a yes. Is there no? Always a no. Of course, there's good reasons why it's not. Look, if God would forget about his perfect standards and just judge us by the standards we hold people to, which is evidence we believe in those standards, we wouldn't pass the test. One of my good pastor friends, he has parents that are, they're disillusioned, well, they're captured by this illusion that they are good people. He told me, you know, they have a good little life. His his mom was a principal for years. His dad was a school teacher for years. You know, they helped kids in their careers. They, they, they've given a little money to charity. They have this mentality, this attitude, that they're good people and they have a good little retirement life. And my pastor friend says they are so blind to how broken they are, and he fears they will stand before Jesus one day, and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So I ask you this morning, like the Pharisees, are you still believing the lie that you can be good enough to put you in the right before God? Are you still believing that your good works will be good enough? Do you see the absolute necessity of having Jesus' perfect performance record credited to your account through faith? So, that's one of the unrighteous, righteous aspects of the Pharisees. Here's another one. The the religious leaders observed the lighter demands of the law, but ignored its weightier demands. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew... In chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mints. I didn't look this word up. Does anybody know what Ananias C? Oh, Jim Curzon loves black licorice. And cumin. I like black, li- black licorice, too. Isn't that crazy? They were tithing black licorice. Like what they. These you ought to have done without leaving. All right, so you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Describes the what they were doing, and the Pharisees as they were picking and choosing what laws that they would live out and obey. And they were so meticulous at keeping the lesser demands of the law, even tithing from the produce of their garden, as we, we see here. All the while not living out The weightier aspects of the law regarding justice, mercy, and faith. They were majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Both a gnat and a camel were considered unclean according to Jewish law. The the Pharisees, because they were so concerned about swallowing a microscopic bug, they would strain even their wine before they drank it. And Jesus is saying, you do that, but you are swallowing a whole camel at the same time. Or at another time. You are emphasizing these lighter demands of the law, and you're forgetting about the most important aspects of it. And yet again, See, this is what we can do. We can be like a Pharisee, like the Pharisee was to the tax collector, and we can be looking down at them, down our noses at the Pharisees, right? It's real easy for us to just be like, how ridiculous. Examine your life. Is your obedience to Jesus sporadic? Do you pick and choose which commandments of Christ you obey? Do you obey the lesser commands while ignoring the weightier, most important commands of the law? For example, do you faithfully tie to the church a portion of your income, but yet refuse to forgive a family member that's hurt you? I think Jesus would say, well, I know what he would say. We'll get there. I almost was going to say something Jesus wouldn't say. So thank you God for not allowing me to. <laughs> Do you for example read your Bible regularly but treat your spouse like garbage? Do you consistently attend our church services here but act like a fool at sporting events? I was talking to Tom Skelly about this at our prayer time on Monday. It is so true. This has got to stop. This drives me nuts. And maybe I'm being a Pharisee by looking down my nose at this. And so when I tell you, preaching on this stuff, you just feel like, oh, God, don't let me be a Pharisee in my heart and mind as I do this. All week long I feel that way when I preach on this kind of stuff. And pride, all right, maybe I am. I don't know. Thank you for God's grace, Jesus. But I tell you what, it's the arena of sports that it's like people, like, they beca- the Christians become the most unchristian people around. Sports and politics, it drives me crazy. It's like, eh. Yeah. Do you mistreat referees, coaches, and players that just might be your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you all gentle until the conversation turns to politics? And the way you act and talk is nothing like Christ. It seems like we can be good at obeying the lesser aspects of the law and ignore the most important aspects of it. So, what would Jesus say to this? I was going to tell you forget your tithe, forgive the family member. But Jesus wouldn't say that. You know what Jesus would say? Forgive your family member and keep tithing. Do both. Number three, the re- so religious leaders, hey, we can earn God's acceptance through observance of the law. Secondly, they focus on the, the lesser demands of the law. Forget about the weightier demands. Number three, the, re- li- the religious leaders added to God's laws, which further distracted them from obeying it. So not only did the scribes and Pharisees, they counted 613 laws in the Old Testament. In addition to all those laws... They added their own laws. For example, God's law says that you are supposed to take a day of rest a week, a Sabbath. They had 39 instructions on how you were supposed to take that day of rest that they created. And what's even crazier is that they then started believing that their man-made laws were actually from Moses. And so they saw their man-made traditions as equal to 13 laws in the Old Testament. The, the religious leaders' man-made traditions, they were described as a fence around the laws of God. So what they were doing is they were coming up with all of these interpretations of those 1,613 laws that were meant to keep them away from breaking God's actual real laws. It's like (laughs) they're like the kids who, you know, the parents say to the kids, "Um, I don't want you to go into the road and play. And so the kids... They just stay in the backyard behind the fence, and they never venture out into the front yard. Because if they venture into the front yard, they just might walk on the sidewalk. And if they just walk on the, if they walk on the sidewalk, then they might go into the road and play and then get killed by a car. And what ended up happening is these man-made traditions that they added to God's laws didn't act as a um, security fence around God's law. It actually acted as a privacy fence because what it did is it stopped the scribes and Pharisees from being able to see God's laws and the importance of those and, and and, and the intent and the heart by which God gave those laws. And that's why Jesus tells The scribes and Pharisees in in Mark 7, 8, and 9. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. They were getting so lost in the minutia of their man-made traditions that they could no longer see God's laws. And again, before we look down our noses at the scribes and Pharisees, we have to ask ourselves, we have to examine our lives. Have you added rules to God's rules so that you don't break God's rules, but they've only served to separate you more and more from the people that God came to save. They've only served to put up not a security fence, but a privacy fence so that you can no longer see God's laws for what they are. We can take God's command in Ephesians 5.18 to not get drunk, right? And we can create our own law and say, well, the Christians should never, ever drink alcohol. We can We can, that's a man-made rule. We can take the command that, you know, think on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and so on and so forth, and we can create our own law and say, well, the Christian should never look at a secular movie or listen to secular music. We can take the truth of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we can add to it a man-made rule that says, don't read anything else. So don't read anything else. Andy Stanley, Mary told me this. Uh, <laughs> she listens to him. I still think she likes me as a pastor better than Andy Stanley. But sometimes I wonder. Um, <laughs> Mary would say she doesn't agree with everything he says, by the way. And we talk about that. But one of the things that he shared in one of the sermons that he preached is that his dad, Charles Stanley, pastor for a long time, you know, great man of God in so many ways, had in his mind and heart that it was not right for a Christian to drink coffee. And if you had a Bible and a stack of Bibles... The Bible was had to be on top, and don't dare set your coffee mug on that bible and i He explained that Charles Stanley got to the place where he understood like this is me, my man made but he said Andy Stanley said that when he would go to drink coffee in front of his dad like he all it was it always felt like, oh, and then I think he said. To his dad one time, I'm so liberated, dad. And he just kept (laughs) playing with his dad. So I ask, have you put all these added rules onto God's rules? And it's keeping you from really following God, to love God and to love other people. Have your rules just separated you more and more from the people that need Jesus? Have your extra rules led you to feel superior to other people? Number four, this is the last one. The religious leaders follow God's laws to be seen by others. So there were actual times when the religious leaders did obey God's law as it was meant to be obeyed. The problem was they did it out of the wrong motivation, which really is not to obey the law. Th- they prayed. They taught the scriptures. They fasted. They did good deeds. Not to bring glory to them, to God themselves. Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, 5 through 7, But are their works, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their, I always get this word mixed up, flacketeries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men. Rabbi, rabbi, teacher, teacher, right? We, too, are often like the Pharisees in this regard. We actually do the right things, but we do them out of the wrong motivation so that we can have glory for ourselves. We aim to please people. You know why I think we do? We don't want our glory to take a hit. That's why we please people. We want people to see us as glorious. And we we do, don't want that to be lessened in any way in people's eyes. And so we come to church, we pray, we fast, we serve, so that people will say, what a great guy he is. What a great gal she is. What a Christian. What a servant. Let me ask you this. If nobody would ever take notice of you, would ever thank you, would ever compliment you, would you still do the job you do? Monday through Friday? Would you still serve here at the church the way you do? Or is your service dependent upon the applause, the admiration, and the respect of others? Whose glory are you working for anyways? And so you can see... That the, ra- the righteousness of the religious leaders wasn't so righteous after all. Believing your good works can put you in right standing with God. Observing the lighter demands of the law while ignoring the heavier demands. Adding to God's laws. Doing good to bring glory to yourself and not others. That is straight up unrighteousness. And Jesus says this strategy for living is a yoke that chokes. It will suck the life right out of you. How so? Let me, let, let me just give you a few examples, and then we'll be done with this, this part. If you believe that your good works can earn the acceptance of God, you're constantly going to com- be comparing yourself with other people. Because you're constantly going to be asking, All right, am I doing good enough? Earn God's acceptance? Am I am I doing better than this person over here and this person over there? And if you are doing better, you're gonna feel super inflated, you're gonna feel superior to other people, you're gonna feel like the Pharisee who prayed that day in the temple and if you compare yourselves to other if you compare yourself to others and you find that you don't you, you don't match up to them you're going to feel so deflated and you're going to feel guilt and that is a burden that will crush you there's no peace in that there's only anxiety in that kind of strategy for living have I done enough? Have I not done enough? Am I better than this person over there? Oh, I'm not. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I am. Ugh. Right? You know what else? You're going to be unwilling to be, you, you won't allow yourself to be critiqued. Your, if your identity is so caught up in your performance, you're not going to be able to stand having somebody then critique your performance because they are salting who you are at your core. You'll get defensive. You will get angry. C- because you're, you'll be believing their comments as not that you made a mistake. You'll perceive it as I am a mistake. There's a big difference between those two. I, a- I messed up versus I am messed up. Big difference. That's no way to live. If you're living for your glory, you're not going to be able to love someone which is to work for their benefit. You're not going to be able to do that. You're gonna be, people are going to be constantly feeling manipulated by you. Because they'll be able to see through that the reason you're doing good for them is ultimately selfish for your own gain. This is all a yoke that chokes, and again, that's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you come to him? Do you know this rest that he can give? Or are you so still in this life strategy that is sucking the life right right out of you? Let me pray. Lord, we we are like Pharisees often in so many ways. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness, we thank you for your grace, we thank you that you still love us in spite of all that, but we also know, Lord, that you command us not to stay there, that you command us to run to you to take on your easy yoke, which is really freedom. Freedom. It's really life. It's abundant life now and forever. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us more and more our pharisaical ways. Lord, that you would stop us because this is what often happened with the Pharisees from enforcing our pharisaical ways onto other people. Lord, thank you that through your death that we are going to remember now and celebrate now. That you broke the chains. That we don't have to live that way anymore. That we are in you, in Christ. We are a new creation. We are dead to that life. Lord, again, help us to awaken to that reality more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.